Christmas season is upon us. Thanksgiving is finally over, and I am a Christmas junkie. I just think of Chevy Chase and everything disaster that goes wrong. That's me at Christmas time. But I love decorating, and I just love Christmas. I love everything about it. I can't wait for it, and I'm, I'm so glad it's here. And I'm the type of person that wants to start decorating November 1st or, or sooner. You know, if it's November 1st, we're too late. But unfortunately, uh, you know, my wife Angela, many of you know her, she's, she's perfect in every way. She's just beautiful, wonderful, spiritual woman, but we're unequally yoked in that she is a diehard decorator for Christmas only after Thanksgiving. And I am a decorator before Thanksgiving. And so that creates conflict, lots of conflict. But we have decided to uh, handle it in a mature and a reasonable way, very thoughtful and sensitive like, like a lot of couples do, on the Jerry Springer show. So <laughs> spouses who won't decorate for Christmas before Thanksgiving on the next Jerry Springer. So you can watch us there. Let's take a quick poll. How, who will decorate for Christmas before Thanksgiving? And, and let's see the hands of the after Thanksgiving. Ooh, we're, we're, we're desperately outnumbered. <laughs> All right. We must move on then. Yeah, today we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about Christmas. And we're going to talk about the ultimate gift. So much of our focus this time of year is on shopping, right? Buying the, trying to find the perfect uh, present for, for the loved ones in our lives. Who went out on, on uh, Black Friday? Got some diehards, some serious diehards here. And uh, so we're taking a moment to examine the ultimate gift uh, of, of what Christmas is and the nature of God. And the big part of Christmas is buying these gifts, that we take these gifts and we take them and we put them under our, our Christmas tree, right? To, to give our to give the gifts to our, our friends and our family. and In our, our family, we got three Christmas trees. And I know it's, it's, total, it's total overkill. You don't have to tell me, because I'm the guy that's got to put them up and put the lights on. But, but there's special meaning for each one of those trees. And the, 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 our primary tree is on our, uh, in our family room. And that's the tree that we cut down every year. We go out as a family and cut it down and haul it back. And on that tree, Angela has... Uh, She's been collecting gifts for the kids throughout the, from the time that they're little babies. And something that's special or meaningful to them, um, they're involved in music and theater, so there'll be stuff like that. And a lot of you moms are thinking, oh, that's a great idea. It is. It's fun. And so now my oldest is in college and my youngest is 12, so we've got a lot of ornaments uh, for these guys. And, and the idea is that you know, they'll, they'll collect them, and then once when they get older and they move out, and hopefully they, they move out, that they'll be able to take these with them. And so, uh, uh, for Sam, Sam's all about sports. So we got Ryan Miller for him when he was on the Sabres. Sam loves that. Sam's about sports and minions, so that's pretty much all he has. Uh, the girls, theater, dance, things like that. Olivia, she, uh, here's one of her favorites, is the Grinch. Uh, Sophia... She has, this one's great, this is a Lumiere. Lumiere lights up. Let me show you. Ooh, ah. That's great. Angela, and Angela and I get them for each other. Angela seems to be, have a, quite a theme of uh, 
Diet Coke, and, and Hershey bars. That's what she seems to be about. Uh, oh, Tori, I almost forgot Tori. Tori, um, uh, she was Cinderella in a play, so she'll have like Cinderella slippers, things like that. But Tori went through a phase of The Simpsons. And Angela's like, you can't take that ornament. That's a horrible show. I, mean, I know, but this is real life. And this is, you know, some of you have gone through The Simpsons also. So uh, then here's, uh, for, me, for me, it's mostly monster trucks and uh, bulldogs. And I have Ralphie in his pink bunny suit. And kind of the piece de resistance, every Christmas tree should have Gene Simmons from Kiss. <laughs> I went to a, my, my friends took me to a Kiss concert years and years ago, and uh, it wasn't my band, my, my type of music, but I, it, was a great, it was a great show, and so i become a, uh, uh, a recovering um, Kiss fan since then. <laughs> So then also we have uh, a tree now in our basement then. And that, that tree has all the, the homemade ornaments of the kids. From, the, from Sunday school and school, from when they were little, uh, I got a, a, a paintster snowman. We have, we have uh, Rudolph out of tongue depressors. Uh, here's, uh, here's uh, instead of the angel, we have Olivia gingerbread person. Oh, isn't that cute? And then I, I have no clue what this is. I think it's a snowflake. You know, bright, you know, you, know, you see them. Snowflakes, black and bright green and, you know, like that periodically. So that's our, that's our tree in the basement. And then the tree upstairs, we have a third tree upstairs. And Angela's like, when we first started talking about getting this tree, she's like, where are you going to put it? And I'm like, yeah, we'll just put it in the corner. And so she's like, yeah, people are going to be bumping into it, knocking things off, but we, we got a place for it, and it, it, fits, it, fits, it fits really good. And uh, that, tree, that tree was my mom's. A lot of you might know my mom. She had passed away about five years ago after a, a seven-year knockout, drag-out fight with cancer. And uh, she, was, she was more of a Christmas junkie than, than I was, am. Uh, and she, not so much when my, my sister and I were growing up, but something happens when people have grandkids, right? It's just a game changer. And so she just, from that point on, it's, every kid had to have 10 to 12 presents. It's crazy. And they weren't wealthy. My mom's a nurse. My dad uh, worked at Chevy. But she was, she was all about Christmas. And these presents, she would decorate them like professionally. Everything would be color-coded for a kid. And they'd have ribbons and, and bows. And so you'd, we'd celebrate on Christmas Eve. You'd walk into that room, and there'd just be these stacks of presents. It's crazy, especially after the rampage of opening them, the boxes and the paper. It was hip deep. It was crazy. And, uh, and she'd want to spend, too, even though they didn't necessarily have you know, the money. My mom would save. And uh, one year, she buys me this uh, a $200 sweater. And, I'm, and she had to point out it was $200 sweater. She's like, oh, Scotty, you need a nice sweater. And I'm like, if anybody knows me, I'm a Kohl's cash kind of guy. All right, <laughs> TJ Maxx, uh, Marshalls, Steinmart, probably got that, Steinmart. Uh, you know, that's, uh, Mom, I can buy five sweaters for $200. 
And so after Christmas, I gently asked for the receipt, and I, I, I ended up taking it back. And I regret, pa- Pastor Pete had just gone, went through a series on regrets. That's one of my regrets in life, is that I didn't save that, that sweater, because it, it was important to her at the time for me to have a nice sweater, I guess. But, but anyhow, so, um, so after, after she passed away, my dad's not the type to decorate. So they must be unequally yoked also. And so he's... Uh, my sister took a few of the ornaments, but I got the rest. It, and it's a nice tree. My mom was all about, it's glass, all glass, and, uh, or simulated glass, plastic, but it all looks like glass. And it's just beautiful. We have it up on our, our, uh, on our second floor, and uh, the kids love uh, putting it up. And uh, it, it means a lot, you know? It's, it's just special in that way. But, you know, I, I've heard... I, the holidays can be tough for somebody who's lost a loved one. And, and the best analogy I've heard for it is that it's like losing a limb when you, when you lose somebody. You heal, you get, you get better, but you're never the same. That, you know, you, you still experience happiness times and, and joyful times and go through life experiences and whatnot, but there's always, there's always that absence, that, uh, that just, uh, that void that, that never seems to be filled. But, but I love Christmas. And Christmas just generates so much emotions with the shopping and the buying presents for your friends and your family and special times and special events and uh, kids' concerts and Mannheim Steamroller and charity drives and decorations and the lights. I love to go berserk with the lights. And, but just as that generates a lot of positive emotions and happy you know, memories and elation. It's just, it's joy on, you know, this season is just joy on steroids, isn't it? But, but just as it can be the most exciting time, the best of times, it can also be just the opposite for many people. That, you know, it's supposed to be a time of joy and celebration, but for some people it's, it's anything but. It, it, it's, it's a time of, it gets depressing for them. Sometimes you hear people say, man, I, I just, I just want to get through the holidays. And so for some, Christmas accentuates and emphasizes that, you know, in that moment, life sucks. And depression can happen anytime, any time of the year, stress and anxiety. Uh, but during the months of November and December, you know, this season can cause people who are, you know, even sometimes usually content to experience uh, times of loneliness and lack of fulfillment. You know, a lot of you have lost loved ones like I, I lost my mom. You know, there's that void. Uh, some of you may have, you know, this year lost a job or been downsized. And you're thinking, wow, in the past we've, we did a lot of gifts. And, man, I, I just don't know where, I don't know where money's going to come from this year. You know, I don't know if we can give anything. Some of you might be uh, closet alcoholics and you're um, just kind of struggling with your business. You're struggling with, in your personal life and, um, you, and you got parties to go to, and you know you're going to be around alcohol, and you're thinking, how can, I, how can I do this and not binge? Some people have lost spouses this past year. Maybe some of you, in you know, February, you were ha- in a relationship, and you're thinking, hey, this, maybe this is the year. December, Christmas is going to come, and, and maybe, maybe I'll be engaged, and we're going we're to celebrate that. Won't that be fun at Christmas? Some people, you know, there's so much focus on little kids at Christmas. Some people, you know, aren't able to have kids, and it accentuates that desire uh, 
you know, we want to have little feet running around. For some people, the, the, the commercials can just be the worst, you know, because the commercial just shows perfection of these huge houses all lit up and huge tables and, and families sitting at a feast and both mom and dad are there, which for 50% of, of kids is not the case, and everybody's dressed in Hollister and, uh, you know, all these shiny, happy people. And, and I, think of, I think the kids in the inner city, you know, uh, and, and what some of those kids are going through and that they're watching these commercials and, and seeing these, these perfect families and they, they're thinking, I'm not experiencing that. I don't, I don't see that at Christmas, you know? Uh, you know. My mom's not decorating with all these lights. My mom's hoping to pay the light bill, you know? And, and maybe mom's able to find some uh, gifts maybe to be donated. Uh, I think of those kids, that, you know, those commercials, kids playing with the huge toys and whatnot. Maybe the circumstances are, for whatever reason, that, that there's somebody missing it at your, at your Christmas table, that there's the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter who are just so far away from the Lord right now. Maybe you got a bad report from a doctor this year, and that's drowned out all the joy. Maybe somebody in your family's in the military, and, you know, crap just got real. Life and death just got real, and that they're over in the Middle East, and, and you don't have communication, and every day you're praying and just hoping to get that call, and you know that they're safe, and that they're coming home. Maybe your life is rocked with anxiety, stress, doubt, fear, addictions of any kind, you know, and we, we see all these shiny, happy people on the commercials, on TV, and shopping, and everybody looks so great, and, and we think, why can't that be me? Why is everybody else so much happier than, than I am? I don't mean to be a doggy downer. It got real quiet, you know. But that's the other side of Christmas, and that's, that's the reality of it all. And, and what's the answer? The answer is what, you know, what Nate introduced last, Pastor Nate introduced last, uh, last week, is John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And he talked about the so loved part. God so loved the world that he gave. We're going to talk about uh, the word gave, gift, that God gave us a gift. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. Jesus is the ultimate gift. And Jesus identifies with what we're going through. Jesus experienced death. The Bible says when his good friend Lazarus died that Jesus wept. And he brought him back to life. But still in all, he felt, immediately felt that loss and felt that experience of death. Jesus also had, he's a, Heavenly Father, God, but he did have a stepfather, which was Joseph, and Joseph isn't mentioned after chapter 1. He's just, he's just gone, so you know, he was a good man, so he didn't just up and leave, so he must have died. So Jesus experienced the death of, of a loved one, and, and, and living in a, 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 single, um, a, a single adult uh, home, where, uh, uh, single parent home, that's what I was trying to think of. Um, you know, we're, we're with just his mom, with Mary. So what, Jesus was the oldest, so immediately he had to be the man of the house, you know, and all those issues that come, that come with being that. Jesus was also, he worked the lion's share of his life for the first 30 years, he was a carpenter. So he's experienced what it's like to have to work, to get clients, picky clients, losing work days because of bad weather. You know, what we experience at work, he experienced on the job also. Jesus felt rejection. He felt he was, when he was revealed as the Christ, he was rejected by his family and his friends. He experienced rejection throughout his whole life on earth, and even while he's hanging on the cross, he experiences rejection today. He knows what it, that feels like. He also 
understands what it's like to be a teenager, a single adult, a working person. He's been there. He's experienced stuff. You know, you and I think, think that we've gone through stress and pressure, and we have. And a lot of you are going through crazy stressful situations and, and crazy pressure. But Jesus experienced that. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he sweat drops of blood, the Bible says, the pressure that he was under at that time. John 1, chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. God elected to come and live among us in human form. And you know, so we serve a God who's walked in our shoes. He was tried. He was tempted. He was, uh, he was, he was tested. But ultimately, He's triumphed where you and I have failed. Where you and I fail miserably time and time again. And he identifies with us relationally. He connects with us, with us emotionally. You know, you might say, you might be saying, Scott, nobody understands. Nobody understands what I'm going through. But the sentence isn't complete because you forgot two words, except Jesus. Scott, nobody knows how hard this is for me to walk through this situation right now, except Jesus. Nobody can feel what I'm feeling, except Jesus. You might be feeling that, that, that God is nowhere around and nobody can understand your pain. And I want to show you a, a quick video right now that just reminds us with some real powerful imagery of the sacrifice that Jesus made, humbling himself to become one of us. It was a dirty job that he took on, and he didn't have to do it. But, but your life is different, and my life is different. The world has been changed because he did. You guys can run it. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, son. She wrapped him in cloths and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. God had this messy plan, a plan to save the world. And to do that, he was going to send his son. Where does the God of the universe send his son? Where, where does the King of Kings and Lord of Lords come? To a barn, a stable, a, a manger of all places. Certainly no place fit for a king. But then again, this wasn't any ordinary king. When I say it was messy, I mean messy. It, it was a barn, a stable, right? So you've got animals and animal stuff, manure, mud, a pitiful place for people, much less a place for the king of kings to be born. Why would God do that? Well, I can't tell you for sure, because Isaiah explains to us that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. But that same prophet 400 years before Jesus was born, said, all we like sheep have gone astray, each of us to our own way, and that he has laid our iniquities on him. You see, Jesus came to a messy place. Oh, yeah, a barn, a manger, that's messy. But he came to a messy world. Why? Because the shepherd was coming to take care of the sheep, to prepare a way for them to go home. That's what a shepherd does. 
He lives where the sheep are. He sleeps where they sleep. He eats where they eat. They got Jesus in trouble. Why did Jesus eat with sinners? Because that's what the shepherd does. An angel appeared to the shepherds in the field and said, this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger. A sign. You ever wondered what that sign was? A sign for what? Maybe a sign that Jesus is accessible to everyone. A sign that the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills can relate to a homeless person. Because Jesus never had a home, never had a place to rest his head. Maybe it was a sign that God would have nothing to do with the social status of mankind. A sign that he detests the splendor of humans because it's not worthy of him. But it was a sign for us that we should follow suit. In fact, the Apostle Paul later on would write, we should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. That although he was the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but that he made himself nothing, becoming a servant, being made in human likeness. A servant. You see, being a servant is is messy. And Jesus set this incredible example for us. I mean, he got down on his knees and he washed feet. The God of the universe, the God who deserved the best of everything, got on his knees. He's the God who came to the world and was laid in a manger, a feed trough of all places. Why such a messy place? Because he was following a messy plan. So needless to say, that very first Christmas was dirty. It was grimy, it was, it was filthy. <laughs> but thank God it was. Because without it, what a mess we'd be in. Matthew chapter one verse something. Uh, <laughs> Joseph's visited by an angel. An angel says that, uh, that you know, Mary's with child. And the angel tells him, you're going to name him Jesus because Jesus is going to save people from their sins. And the angel also points out that 800 years before that, in prophecy, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that Jesus was also given a nickname of Emmanuel, which means God with us. And, and this name reveals His promise, God's promise to us, that God is with us, that, that God's going to be with you in your struggle, that He's going to walk through it with you, that no matter how long it takes, that you're going to overcome the situations that you're going through, that I'm going to overcome the situations I'm going through, that He's with us. And Jesus told His disciples right before He left the earth, He said, and surely I am with you always, very, very, to the very end of the age. When it comes to the ultimate gift, God didn't ask us what we want, He gave us what we need. You know, what, what gift are you hoping for from for? Uh, from Santa for Christmas this year. You know, TV, electronics. I'd love a, a, a better TV in our bedroom. We have one of those big old 
uh, projection TVs that you have to look at it straight on. If you go off to the side, you can't see it. We have one of those. I would just like a, 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 a better TV in there. But, uh, you know, what would you, what would you ask for if you could have anything? Would you ask for more money? Would you ask for more space, a bigger house, 50 more years to your life, youth? I'd ask for, I, you know, I'd ask for an extra day of the week, an extra day on the weekend. I could use that. That would be great. But, you know, the gifts we give, the tangible gifts we give, it's, it's stuff, and, 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 and it gets forgotten. It loses its shine, its momentary happiness and satisfaction. And, and every, every new Christmas, every new year, the things we got from last year are old by the time Christmas comes back around. You know, when you're picking out a gift for someone, the very best gifts are usually the most personal. The best gift reflects the personality of the giver, and it also meets the need of the person you're giving it to, right? Reflects the personality of the giver, meets the need of the person, of the recipient of the gift. It's like, it's like the ornaments on my trees that I, I told about. Um, you know, the ones with this most significance have the personal meaning, the ones the kids made, the ones that Angela thoughtfully uh, bought for the kids to save up over the years are the ones that were on my mom's uh, tree. God's the ultimate shopper, and he gave us the ultimate gift. God gave us something more valuable than anything we could ask for, something very personal to him, his one and only son. The greatest thing that God could give us was part of himself. The greatest present is the presence of Christ in our lives. And the gift of, of Christ reflects who God is. He's our Father. He loves us so much. And, and the gift meets our ultimate need of salvation. When Jesus came into the world, it was God giving us His presence so that we could experience Him in a real way. God gave us His, His presence so that we'd never be alone again. He gave us His presence so that we could experience Him in difficult times. He gave us His presence so that we could know Him in a personal and real way. What's the meaning of Christmas? That's the meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown. It's not about God allowing us to give presents to, to other people. It's about God giving us His presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. So the name Emmanuel, God with us, has deep meaning if you're in a difficult place. Through it, God says, I'm not going to leave you alone. When you feel like you're lost, when you're hopeless, when you're going through a difficult situation, he says, I'm going to send my presence and I'm going to be with you. You know, once we become Christ followers, God didn't say everything's going to be perfect. He never said everything's going to be just great in our life instantaneously. You know, we live in a, a sin-stained, fallen world. So it would be great if once we accepted Christ as our Savior, you know, there'd never ever be another financial problem. Well, instantly we become millionaires, you know, brilliant business ideas, or that we all become perfectly healthy. But you know what? It's not that way. We still have issues. We still have challenges. We still have things that we're walking through. And God says, I'm going to walk through it with you. Another thing, once you become a Christ follower, you become a target. There's a very real enemy out there in and, and Satan and... Uh, once you, you know, pledge your allegiance to Christ, now all of a sudden you're an enemy of the enemy. 
I don't know what you're going through this Christmas. I don't know, I don't know um, where it's going to take you or where it's going to lead, but you can feel the presence of your Savior. You know, if you run to Him and you keep running to Him, He's going to give you hope and He's going to give you peace as He walks out that challenge with you. There's a couple of scriptures, a couple of promises that He's given us in this regard. Isaiah 26.3, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Jeremiah 29.11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Like I said, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know why you're going through it. But there is a purpose for it. There is a plan for it. Once you're a Christ follower, God has a plan for your life. And He will redeem. We talked about redemption. He will redeem those moments and those challenges and those issues that you're going through when we give them to Him. might take some time, but it's going to happen. God answers prayer. Every prayer is answered. You get a yes, you get a no, you get always agree with the way he's answering my prayers. But, um, but he does answer it. Sometimes we'll know the answer in our lifetime. Sometimes we, we may never know. You know, it's like, a, it's like a good analogy is a play. If you go to Shades and you're sitting in the audience and you're waiting for the show, it's a 7 o'clock show, it gets to be 7.02 p.m. Looks like nothing's happening. There's a curtain there, right? My gosh, nothing's happening. It's not starting. Nothing's going on. But there's a lot going on behind that curtain you can't see. There's stagehands setting up the preps. There's lighting people, you know, working on the lighting. There's the actors and actresses, and they're getting ready, and getting all the props in place. And then all of a sudden, that curtain draws back, and you get a glimpse of, of what's going on. Oh, something is going on. It's not nothing going on. It's not God ignoring me. Something's going on there. I don't, I don't got the whole picture yet. I don't see the whole play in that moment but I see the very first act, the very first scene, and I can kind of get an idea of what's going on from that. But then in faith, we've got to leave it up to Christ, who's going to take care of the rest of the play, and he's going to work it out and bring it to the appropriate ending. Every time I put, my kids love to put, the, uh, particularly my daughter Olivia, she likes to put puzzles together, and, and so we do that. It's a great time. Uh, I suggest you do it with your kids. It's just a great time of bonding and hanging out with them. And so we'll get, we get the hard puzzles. And, you know, the thousand pieces. And the issues that we go through are like those puzzle pieces. It's like taking one puzzle piece and saying, and saying, and trying to figure out the whole puzzle from that piece. You know? And, and when you can't figure it out, saying, God must not exist. God doesn't love me. God doesn't have a plan for me because I can't, I can't figure out from this one piece that there's a whole puzzle there. But there is a whole puzzle there. And once you start putting those pieces together, you start to get an idea. Oh, you know, this is a flower bed or this is a waterfall or whatever. And, and, and that, that, those pieces are part of the, the, the bigger puzzle. But, you know, we're, we're, on a different, we're on a different level from God. We're not on God's level. God is God. We're us. And so God deals with time over, over, over thousands of years, you know. We hopefully live to 100 so God's dealing with the plan that our lives fit in intricately with everybody else in your family, with everybody else in the world, with God's overall plan for mankind. You know, He loves all of us, and it's all working together. And so, unfortunately, and, and this stinks, but sometimes we don't know the answers, and we're not going to know the answers. 
but we got to keep going and we got to keep believing in our God who loves us and keep having faith that he does love us and we know that he loves us because of the promises that he's given us in the Bible. I like this song, um, Hallelujah. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. Anybody, you guys know that song? I'd sing it if I could, but it would just drive you all out of here. But uh, it's a great song. It starts off, it was written by um, Leonard Cohen at, back in 1984. And, uh, and it starts out really spiritual because it talks about Samson, it talks about David and, and the experiences that they had and, and the negative experiences, the hard times that they went through. And, uh, and, and, and it talks about them, uh, you know, having this, this, this cold and broken hallelujah at the end. And then the song goes on, it gets kind of funky in the lyrics and kind of weird. And uh, so I'm like, is this a good song? I like this song. I, I like, the, I like the, the, the music. I like the words at the beginning. Is it a good song? So I looked it up. And uh, you might know the song better from Rufus Wainwright, I think, sung it most recently. It's in Shrek. That's where I heard it. Uh, <laughs> And, and other people have written it, and they change the words and get different renditions to it. And there's a Christmas one that totally changes the words, and that's really cool. I like that one. Uh, but I like, I like what Leonard Cohen has to say about the meaning of, of the original, of what he wrote. He, here's what he says. The world is full of conflicts and full of things that cannot be reconciled. But there are moments when we can transcend and reconcile and embrace the whole mess. And that's what I mean by hallelujah. That regardless of what the impossibility of the situation is, there's a moment when you open your mouth and you throw open your arms and you embrace the thing and you just say, hallelujah, blessed is the name. The only moment that you can live here comfortably in these absolutely irreconcilable conflicts is this moment when you embrace it all and you say, look, I don't understand at all, hallelujah. That's the only moment that we live here fully as human beings. I love that song. I love it because it's sad, uh, but it's optimistic. And it shows that, shows that the hardships of the singer, that he's not going to be defeated because of those hardships, that your hardships are not going to defeat you. Your challenges are not going to defeat you. My hardships, my challenges are not going to defeat me when we walk through them with Christ. It might take a while, but there's victory at the end of it. And this is what the Apostle Paul, I think, meant when he said, give thanks in all things. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 17. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we rejoice when? Rejoice when we, when we, when we get the best job ever, Rejoice when things are going our way. Rejoice when, you know, you finally get in that relationship that's going to lead to marriage. No, you re re rejoice in always. Pray when, pray continually. Give thanks in, in just the good times, just the good circumstances. No, give thanks in all circumstances. You know, even when, even when it's looking, even when, you know, crap happens, even when it's looking bad. Giving thanks to the Lord, even in those moments. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to bring me through this situation. You're going to bring me through this issue and this challenge. I am going to be victorious in the end. Thank you, Lord. Even though I haven't seen it yet, I know in faith it's coming. 
Life is difficult. It's irreconcilable, messy, it's painful, but we still give thanks. At times, it may be a cold and a broken hallelujah. It's not always a shout of joy all the time, but we find a way to whisper that God is faithful and we can trust Him because we are His and we still say hallelujah. So if you're hurting this Christmas, if you're one of those people that's just kind of dreading it, you know, in some aspect, in some sense, there's things that you can do, you know? There's, there's God has given us the promise of peace and He's given us the promise of hope by virtue of Jesus' name, Emmanuel. God is with us. There's also practical things that we can do. Maybe you're not hurting, but there's going to be people in your lives who are hurting. And so, and so what can all of us do? The greatest gift that, that you can give or that I can give is, are not presents, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, but our presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. And how do we do this? We give our presence to our families. We give our presence to our church. We can give our presence to our community. And that's what this church is all about, giving our presence to our families. We'd have much better families in this world if we were focused more on giving our presence to our families than buying them presents. You know, instead of just buying them toys and giving them stuff. If you want to give your family a real gift this year, pick out some time to give them time individually. Give them a gift of time. Give them a gift of special attention. Become a real part of their life. If there's somebody in your, your family that you haven't spent much time with, carve out some time to spend that time with them. Doing something that they would like to do, not what you'd like to do. Consider ways to be more present with your family all of your family. Find moments that you can steal away from work to be with them. Don't, guys, I, I see so many guys prioritizing their hobbies over their families. You know, those, those hobbies will be there someday when you retire. Are your kids going to be there for you at that time? If you've ne- neglected them all that, since then? Guys, you, gotta, you have to prioritize your family over those hobbies. I know they're fun. I know they're great. Also, we have to uh, make it a priority of our marriages, of spouses spending time with spouses. The cold, hard reality of divorce is that somebody, one or both of the people, were being selfish. That's what it all boils down to. Whatever the issue was, whatever it is, it all boils down to one, at least one person and sometimes both being selfish. And I think if we took a poll of anybody that's divorced in the room, they'd say, you hit the nail on the head. In our marriages, we got to be sacrificial, right? We got to spend time with our spouse and we got to serve them. We got to truly serve them and serve their needs above our own. Giving our gift of presence to our, our church. Uh, church is a community. We just come together for a mission. You know, it's an extended family that cares for each other when, when they're struggling. When one person here suffers, everybody suffers. And, and, and we're, none of us are perfect people. We're all going through real stuff. I have a friend who uh, won't come to church because uh, he thinks that he thinks that all of us are just perfect people, that we're bright, shiny, happy faces, that we have it all together. Uh, and he's not that way. He's going through some issues. He's got some drug issues. Uh, he's an urban guy. We all kind of dress suburban, but you know, uh, 
he dresses more city. And he just, he thinks that if he comes here, he's going to be judged. But he's not going to be judged. I tell him, dude, you're not going to be judged. I said, every one of those people, everybody, everybody is going through an issue. Everybody's going through a challenge. Everybody's got a problem. And the difference is that we come together and we help each other and we serve each other and we try to meet everybody's needs and we pray together and we act like a family. It's not a, it's not a place, our church isn't a place for perfect people, it's a place for imperfect people to come and to experience Christ and to get, get better no matter how long it takes. 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We need you here. You guys got talents. We need you. There's so many different places that you can volunteer and plug in and get active. Uh, there's always ads for children's church ministry that we need people to, to work in children's church. If you're not plugged in yet, just see John Spazcheck sometime and, and he'll tell you, uh, you know, 10 different ways that you can get involved. So consider investing your time on the weekend here somehow. Uh, it's a great way to demonstrate your love for, for Christ and, and for the church. Find a small group. Pastor Pete has a huge heart for small groups where you can find other people and develop relationships and friendships and, um, and you know, people in the small groups helping each other out through their struggles. So if you want to give, if you want to give a gift this year, give a, a gift of your presence to, to us, to your church. Finally, give, uh, give our presence in our community. Our church does that um, collectively uh, together. You know, we, we give to the city mission. Uh, for each new visitor, we're giving a meal to somebody locally who's in need. Uh, our fall and our uh, holiday outreaches, you know, we're trying to reach people. This has always been the focus of this church, and it always will be. Um, we're not here just for ourselves. We're here to impact others, to impact this community for Christ. So that's it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's, that's the meaning of Christmas. The ultimate presence, present, is the presence of Christ in our lives. And our hope is at Christmas is that, you know, Santa will, will, will bring us what we want. Santa brings presents based on good behavior. You know, he's got the naughty list and the good list. But Jesus, our God, doesn't give presents on good behavior. That's how I give presents. You know, if you're good to me, if you're nice to me, you get a present. If you're negative, if you're mean... I don't like you, you get cold. Or nothing. But, but Christ, but God, gives his presence freely. It's unmerited favor. We all fall short. You know, the, the, the way to God is through perfect righteousness, okay? Living a perfect, righteous life, never having sinned at all. But nobody can do it. Nobody can attain the standard. And so that's why God sent Christ to fill in the gap, who came, who lived the sinless life, 
and who died as a sacrifice, he paid the penalty that we're supposed to pay. He died on the cross. That's where we were supposed to die. And that was the penalty we were supposed to, supposed to pay for our sin. But God says that if we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, as our personal Lord and Savior, then the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. And what does that mean? That just means that God, when God looks at us, He's looking at us through a lens of Jesus Christ and through of Christ's perfection. And God says, not only that, when, when you give your life to me, I'm going to help you. You're going to screw up still. You're not going to be perfect. You're not going to be the millionaire. You're still going to have problems and issues probably until the rest of your life. Once we defeat one issue, enough, something else pops up. God says, I'm going to walk through it with you and I'm going to help you. And I'm going to be with you. And you're not going to be alone. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you hope. It's Jeremiah 29, 11 that, that we read before. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. The way to Christ is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's not, if you are baptized, that comes after salvation. That's a great thing just to do, just a demonstration that you've accepted Christ. That's not the way to salvation. It doesn't matter if you're Catholic. Being Catholic doesn't make you saved. Being Protestant doesn't make you saved. Being a, a Baptist doesn't mean you're going to heaven. The only thing, the way you get to heaven is by if you have a, a, a personal relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's a gift. It's not by works that nobody can boast. So let's pray. If, if you have never experienced this indescribable gift of having received Christ in your life, I'm going to pray, and you just, in your heart, you just pray what I'm praying, okay? So everybody, let's just bow our heads, close our eyes. Dear Lord Jesus, Father, we thank you, Lord God, for the presence of your Son in our lives. Father, we confess that we have sinned. I confess that I have sinned, and I'm sorry. I pray that you wash us, wash me, cleanse me, through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross and taking my place. I thank you for dying for me, for being a sacrifice for me. And I thank you that because of, because of what you did on the cross, I can live in heaven. I can have eternal life by accepting that. And I do accept it. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you died for me. And I know you love me. Thank you. The Holy Spirit, help me to live my life for you. It's not going to be easy. I'm going to go through issues. I'm going to go through problems. But help me to do it. I thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody still keep your eyes closed and your head bowed. If anybody's prayed that prayer for the first time, would you just raise your hand?